Good afternoon, and welcome to our May 24th, 2023 Community Readiness Podcast. I'm honored today to have with me um, future retiree detectives. Uh, they have, are they retiring next week, uh, John Hustis uh, and Corey Donberger. Um, many may know the name Corey. I think he might have done some interviews in the past with the old cable uh, stuff for, for many years as a school liaison officer. And uh, Detective Hustis uh, started on patrol, went through uh, the traffic unit and promoted up to our detective bureau where he's been since, I don't know what year? Uh, 2007 in the DB. So the last 16 years as a detective. And Corey was first round of school liaison when? I started in 03, finished in 09, uh, went back to the road for about four years, and then started the new uh, school posi- or school security position, and uh, that would have been 13. And so I've been in the uh, detective bureau ever since. Yep. And then got promoted officially to a detective about a year and a half, two years ago, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Time's different now than it was... You very, know, very different. For sure. John started in 94, 94, 96, 97 ish. 97, yeah. With, with a group of, I mean, you really hired on, and I think both of you did at that time with a group of guys and girls, um, kind of a large, large groups. Yeah. And now, how does it feel to know that your group is retiring? Yeah, this is the last, I'm the last of our group um, to, uh, to retire, and it's uh, bittersweet. I remember when, uh, Mike Myers, an uh, officer, retired. Uh, what he said his last day was, um, blink and it's gone. Everybody should know that. And I was just young. He was one of my FDOs, and he said, I remember say, him saying that and me saying, oh, man, I got so many years left. And now I look back, and it just went by like a vapor. Yeah. Both you guys obviously spent the majority of your career in the detective bureau. Um, and... From a chief's perspective now, and I was, you know, that wasn't too long ago where we were all doing the same exact job, and we we just kind of changed positions. Um, both of you guys were our union uh, representatives, president and vice president, or, or treasurer, or whatever they positions are. Yeah, whatever, on the board, whatever, all the above. Yeah, yeah all the above. Yeah. Um, and from an agency perspective, we talk all the time about the transformation we've seen in our detective bureau over the last really year. Um, being, you know. You guys retiring is over 50-something years of combined, almost 60 years of combined uh, experience. And probably, if I had to guess, we're over 200 years of experience in the last 12 months that we've lost in our detective bureau. For sure. Yeah, um, for and, sure. That, and when we say a loss, I mean, you're moving on, hopefully, you know, the new chapter in your lives. But it's a void for us as an agency because of the experience and the, and the, for you guys, especially being the informal leaders without the actual rank of a, you know, administrator rank, um, that you guys have held in our agency. So on behalf of our agency and everybody else, we appreciate that. We thank you. I, w- I know for a fact without people like you and others that have retired, I would never be sitting in the chair I am today and, and as fortunate I've been. Um, and I think there's a lot of guys in our agency who would feel that same way. Um, when we talk about your group of guys all retiring, we, but you build new relationships, right? So right. We're, we're, we have a bunch of new guys starting, and we always jo- joke around when we started about, yeah, man, when you get 100 people above your badge number, um, you feel like you've, you've been there a long time. And now yeah. I've hit that mark, and you guys are over that mark, and to build the relationship with the new guys. What, what do you see as the difference now, um, what would you say, in, in the – in, in the profession, maybe, or even in your positions? I think the biggest thing for 
uh, right now is when I started, everything was handwritten, every report, every paper. There were no cell phones. We had pagers. Um, we didn't have all the computerization and all the technology that really makes investigating things a lot easier. Everything was done manually. Um, and uh, you learn as you go. So I adapted. Um, I still have no idea how to do any social media or anything like that. <laughs> and, and that's another thing why the young people coming up who do that, you can rely on them. I mean, if I ever needed somebody to look something up on Facebook, I just asked one of the young guys to do it instead of muddling through it. But Yeah, it's technology. I mean, you think of like a fraud case type thing where, you know, back in the day you were chasing maybe a credit card statement or something like that, but now you're you're chasing, you know, crypto across the world. And uh, things happen so fast and quick that, you know, you just it's just very hard to keep up with it. So I would I would say technology by far mm -hmm. is, you know, social media that was kind of coming on board a little bit more when I was in the schools. But now there's just so many platforms and various ways to communicate. And it's just I mean, you could spend 24 seven just trying to monitor and still not be able to, you know, see what all is going on. So for sure, technology. Yeah. And one of the, you, you touched on something that I think is important that, that if our residents listen to this is when we talk about technology, a lot of places in the corporate world will say, you, you know, maybe auto plants, you get technology and it takes away people, right? For sure. Law yeah, enforcement absolutely. is kind of opposite of that. As the technology increases, the advancements, you know, to the public and to the criminals, it takes more of your time. It does. John, when you started in the detective bureau, again, 16 years ago, how frequently were you writing search warrants? We weren't writing a whole lot of them yeah. because uh, if you did, it was to an actual physical location. It wasn't for uh, bank records or video or cell phones, computers, things like that. Um, How many think you're writing? Cloud now? storage. Oh, uh, you could easily write four or five a week, probably, conservatively, I think. That's just you. Mm -hmm. How many detectives do we have? Five full-time right. detectives yeah. in our detective bureau, which is, when, you, when you're in the detective bureau, how many detectives do we have? Well, we have six detectives and two school, school. Uh, liaison people. Mm -hmm. um, we're averaging to a man, well, before retiring, about 30 cases each, which are workable cases, not just follow up. You know, follow up. It's yeah. you can work each one of those, and so you have to prioritize what you do, and that comes with the search warrants, where you could, you know, call over to the court and swear to like five or six at a time. I think my record is like 13 and. One sitting, <laughs> which let's talk a little bit about that because let's talk about the life, the day in the life of a detective, right? We, we, we always compare things back. And I think John was an evidence tech and Corey, mm -hmm. you both yeah. were evidence technicians. Yeah. So we see crime scene or uh, forensic files, right? That in an hour we go and solve a case and for, for, enjoyment and pleasure for the TV, but your lives, that's not reality, right? right? And so you're talking 30 cases, just you or, or you. Mm -hmm. um, so that's 60 cases just between two people that are workable cases that if you're typing search warrants, most of, I mean, with Bloomfield Township, we talk fraud, you know, white collar crime or fraud is our big one. Um, you're waiting for all those records back. We then have to take those records and make sense of those records to find out who's at a loss. 
right? It doesn't happen overnight. No, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And that's yeah. really if 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 the bank or location actually provides the documentation, you know, and so I know John can attest to this. You just have various places if they're out of state might just say, sorry, we're not going to cooperate with your search warrant. So now you're back to ground zero. But, um, but yeah, you're just, you're just trying to keep up uh, for the most part. And it's hard to tell victims that there's nothing more you can do. That's the hardest part of being a detective is you've, you've taken it, um, as far as you could go, there's no more evidence to get, no more search warrants, no more records, nothing, and you just can't identify a suspect. And it's very hard to call the victim and say, we can't identify who did this or we can't get your money back or whatever. And that's, that's the thing that bothers me the most about the job. That's the hardest thing for me to do. Um, it's exhilarating to get a charge on somebody for a crime and tell the victim, hey, we figured it out and, and this guy's being charged or this lady's being charged or whatever. But when you have to come up and say, I'm sorry, I can't do anything else, mm -hmm. you know, that's the hardest thing. It's, and it's, again, the detective bureau is really the fact finders to prevent present to the prosecutor's office, right? And then we'll talk right. about that in a minute. Um, you talked about the victims and that's really what you guys focus on, obviously, is finding the facts and finding justice for our victims. And I would imagine we kind of talked walking over here is talk about what's you know, maybe the highlight of your career. I'm not so much saying the case, but what's one of the most rewarding things as being a detective? Um, I think it's been uh, working with the major case assistance team, which is the um, group of detectives with some of our surrounding departments like Troy and the sheriff's office and everything like that because that call out is for a very serious crime. Every time I've been called out, it's either been a shooting or a murder. Um, you're called out and it's go, 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 go until you get the suspect in custody after identifying them. So that to me is, has been the best part of my career. It's, it's exhilarating. Um, you know, you, you leave your house with some clothes and maybe you go back for a couple hours of sleep here and there and that's about it. So that's the best part. And when you can identify a suspect uh, who's committed that violent crime or killed someone and get them in custody, that's like the biggest, you know, very exhilarating and very satisfying. Um, even though someone is, has perished because of the crime, um, bringing people to justice like that is the best part of this job. Yeah. Yeah, I think mine was probably being assigned to the school district with Bloomfield Hills. Um, I, for over half of my career, was assigned to that district. I knew that district better than my own district where my kids went. Um, and so, but over the years, obviously, I had seen some changes. Um, and when I first started, my my oldest was uh, one year old. So I was young father, and here I am trying to you know, you know, help these young folks uh, kind of navigate life, if you will. And that was uh, probably the most rewarding for me, um, working with the various parents throughout the year, staff, of course, administration. Um, and I've shared that with many people that that will definitely be the highlight of my career. Um, I was able to do both. I was able to do, you know, the law enforcement route as well, but I was also able to be in that educational world. So by far the best part of my career. Yeah, and, you, and Corey, yours was unique. Um, obviously, there's not many districts at the time. I think we might have been one of the first, and I'll give Bloomfield Hill Schools credit, kind of the trailblazers. There was always school liaison officers in most schools, but to bring sure. the school security position where at the time they were combining the high schools, so, mm -hmm. you, so we had a 
at least a voice in the room when it comes to the security of these schools. Um, and that's obviously pre-Oxford, right? We were always For concerned sure. and we've, it's always been in our back, you know, it's always been in a bordering state and we always are fixated to TVs and that when that stuff's happening. But then it happens here with Oxford and Michigan State and we can look back at some of the things you did and some of the suggestions or with the school district kind of being proactive um, to try to eliminate or, or prevent, I, I mean, I, yeah. I'm not sure the words of it, or at least lessen the likelihood that it could happen here. Um, but we're learning that it can happen anywhere, and it's you know to have somebody in a position or have those positions around to help develop the plans. For now, I mean, we still use the plans that you help develop. Mm-hmm. We just alter them yearly to make sure that we're up to the best Stay practices. Current. Yeah, yeah um, when I was brought in, it was 13, so it was yeah. right after Sandy Hook, and so that was kind of the you know, the question and the, and the demand really that the parents had is how are we going to prevent that from happening here? And so, you know, the position was created. So, you know, I look back and I'm like, that was a lot of pressure, you know, because obviously things can happen. And, uh, um, you know, and what we tried to do was just put things in place to, to just, you know, minimize those types of incidents and minimize just any type of incident, really, whether it's just an assault or something compared to the massive, you know, school shooting topic that we unfortunately seem to talk about. Um, but, yeah, it, that was uh, that was a very rewarding opportunity, but, you know, kind of a lot of pressure at the same time. So Yeah, and when we talk about... Um, being the detective bureau and and you you mentioned john is sometimes we get that perception that you're sitting behind a desk all day long and just yeah there's days where you know you're waiting for information to come back but then something does happen that i mean the detectives still respond to crimes or Mm -hmm. or unfortunately suicides or you know if there's any follow-up that needs to be had or on the scene you guys are responding so you could be 40 caseloads down in the middle of typing the search warrant um, and next thing you know, somebody from the road's calling and you guys are getting called out to a scene that could completely take you away, maybe for weeks, right. depending on the type of call, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Of what it is. Um, so there's so much more um, to the follow-up on those cases. Let's talk fraud just a minute, because I know that's one of our biggest things. You mentioned a few minutes ago, it's hard to tell a, a, a victim that you can't go any further. What makes the fraud so challenging? Um, for for some of those cases, it's the uh, anonymity of the internet. Most of the fraud is not in person, so there's no video of who's doing it. Um, our burden of proof, uh, if somebody is stealing an identity or um, making fraudulent transactions or something like that, is to actually identify the person who is behind the keyboard that does it, and that's nearly impossible without a finding out an identity of the person and getting them to admit that they were behind the keyboard. Um, Now with cryptocurrency, most of the cryptocurrency fraud is goes out of the country. Within seconds. Within seconds. So even if you could um, execute search warrants on the foreign entities and they cooperated, which sometimes they do, you're getting IP addresses from foreign countries uh, all over the world, there, there's nothing you can do about that. Um, you know, I, I'd love to travel the world and knock on doors, but it's just not going to happen. Yeah. No. Uh, and the amounts of money in the millions of dollars that 
I know personally people have lost in, in some of the cases is it's staggering. And that even makes it harder when somebody says, hey, I lost $1.2 million uh, in this fraud and you track it to India or Bahrain or something like that. And you're like, sir, I can't do anything more for you. I can't get that money back. Yeah. Let's talk about prevention for a minute when you come to that, because we're seeing uh, an, maybe an increase or they go in kind of, you know, clusters, I guess, mm -hmm. romance scams or, or these, these uh, yeah. mainly the romance scams where one, somebody may be sending a picture of themselves in a compromised matter to somebody most likely out of the country. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're, and we just saw in the UP, I believe it was, but a couple, you know, a, a 17 or 18 year old maybe kill themselves and commit suicide mm -hmm. because of the threat of sharing that information because they hacked the phone. Um, I think it's important for us to talk to our residents about the prevention of that, that police departments aren't going to call and say you have a warrant for your arrest. Uh, we need $5,000 over the phone. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think the big thing is just to question everything. You know, I think with email, you know, our email inbox, even at, at, at the township, we get um, we get bad emails that come in. And, uh, you know, it looks legit, but, you know, clearly it's not. And so it, we just get bombarded by those types of communication. So, if, you know, one thing is just to question everything. If you get a email from a family member that just doesn't sound like how they would communicate with you, you know, question that. Don't just click on a picture because, you know, they say they're on vacation or something. So, um, yeah, just, you know, question everything and not just navigate, you know, your email blindly, you know. Yeah. Um, I know, Corey, there was a case I think you did about a year ago. Um, that took you out of state or took 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 it out of state um and it was was it a um child pornography case mm -hmm. yeah let's talk about that a little bit so yeah there's times where we get a case in bloomfield township that has a much greater impact across who knows this one took us to um kansas yeah to kansas and then you are able to work closely or, or reach out to the Kansas authorities there. Mm -hmm. um, and they actually executed search warrants mm -hmm. um, on kind of on our behalf, but their behalf as well mm -hmm. um, to be able to solve that case. And mm -hmm. when you talk about reward in a career, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's why you do what you do on a daily yeah, basis. Yeah. That one worked, I mean, worked out well, you know, for lack of a better word, but I mean, unfortunately we were presented with, with those circumstances and, uh, you know, working out to other law enforcement agency, I, I lucked out and, and, uh, uh, let's see, the deputy I spoke with had, had prior knowledge and experience with our suspect. And so as I'm describing the information and all that, he knows exactly who I'm talking about, where this person lives, cause he had a previous case with him. Um, and so it just, it, it worked out perfectly. And so we were able to obviously continue and get charges, uh, federal charges actually. So that was nice. Um, and we got the conviction, but, uh, yeah, obviously a very unfortunate situation. Um, but, you know, as, as far as law enforcement goes, we were able to, you know, make an arrest, get the conviction, and at least get kind of that little piece of, of closure. So, yeah. John, you brought up uh, MCAT or our major case assistance team mm -hmm. a little while ago. And you've been part of that, I think, maybe since almost the inception. Yes. Um, and I, I don't know how many years it's been, probably a good 15. Yeah, 2008, I, mean, I think it yeah. started. Um, and back in 2014 was our last. Um, 
homicide where it was kind of an anonymous and, and it, we had to develop those leads. And that was the first, my first, uh, I was a sergeant on the road, new sergeant on the road um, then. And it was my first experience with MCAT. And that, uh, you know, again, we call that our, um, it's partnerships with Bloomfield Hills, Clawson, Rochester City, Rochester Hills substation for the county, uh, Auburn Hills, Birmingham and Troy. Correct. And then obviously Bloomfield Township. Um, I'm glad I can remember all those agencies. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> but it's really a force multiplier because probably, in my opinion, the most realistic other than uh, on patrol live, of realistic law enforcement is the first 48. And that really holds true on a homicide, right? The first 48 hours or maybe even a, a good sexual, or when I say a good sexual, a, a completed sexual assault where there's violence used, mm -hmm. um, that, those, that that timeline is truly important um, to get ahead of that. And MCAT's really a force multiplier. Right. Um, and I can think of probably off the top of my head, at least three or four shootings you've been on. And Corey, did you go out? I don't know if you've gone out. You're our MCAT representative now, but mm -hmm. more newer that- um, uh, We had the one small one that we did locally. Yeah, yeah locally. But, but that's even- major, like what John was gonna, obviously- I was gonna touch on that in a minute with that, but let's talk about how important that partnership is um, and what benefit that has to our residents or any of the residents in the communities that I named. Um, when you can have that force multiplier and we get, I think, I believe it's two detectives um, from each agency for right. up to five days um, at that agency. And we have the interlocal agreements, we have authorities uh, to do it. But when you get those kind of cases, usually one lead can start a snowball effect. And in ours happened to be, uh, at the time, retired Detective Barker, who I believe found a um, online pawn that really started hmm. Our found, track down to our suspect. Found the victim's uh, watch on um, on a pawn uh, database uh, for that one. And it is just something small. Um, I think the one I remember the most was uh, over in Troy. Um, uh, a young female was shot nine times in her car uh, when she walked out of work. And what really helped us there is... Shortly after the shooting took place, a citizen called a rec uh, reckless driver driving down Big Beaver Road um, right after the shooting, going very fast and weaving in and out of traffic. And a camera picked the car up with a partial license plate, and it was her boyfriend fleeing the scene. And that was just one little thing, because otherwise we, we weren't sure what was going on. And, and, so, and you mentioned there's no sleep during those times, no. right? I mean, when you, unfortunately, you, you guys have done it many times, so you're, when you have to go give a notification to a family member, um, it's not easy, one. I mean, it's probably our most difficult part of our job, right, um, is having to deliver a bad message. But to see the reaction when it's a felonious manner, right, mm -hmm. we can accept in, in time that something natural happens to somebody. Mm -hmm. But it, feloniously or with an intent to, to kill somebody, it, you really become focused on s that victim's family and what were we going to do? And it doesn't matter if it's in Troy or Bloomfield Hills or Bloomfield Township, we get the care and the same response from those agencies as if they're our own. And I think Absolutely. those partnerships, it, they mean a lot when you say it by words, but when you see them in action, mm -hmm. is totally different. Um, 
you know, I think you guys are working cases now. I mean, how often we've had on my last podcast, we've talked about stolen cars. You guys, you reach out to Troy PD how many times because of some of the resources that mm -hmm. they have. A lot, yeah, for we, those. Sometimes weekly or daily. Mm -hmm. um, and we're, we're constantly sharing that information. And so things aren't kept in a vacuum. Um, we talk about the intel purposes is the meetings that are out there for investigator groups alone um, that are usually held either bi-weekly or monthly to share the information because if it's happening here, it can happen in Warren, it can happen in Sterling Heights, it can happen, you know, in the thumb. Yeah, the criminals don't have boundaries. They don't recognize borders. So um, it's very rare that it's isolated just to our community. Um, if a criminal comes here and does it, they've done it somewhere else. So yeah. the communication is the biggest thing. Yeah, so it's amazing to watch the work that really gets done from the follow-up, and it doesn't just stop after the officer takes the report. Just about every one of the reports that are written, you guys read at some point, whether it's either forwarded on or you're, you're searching it on your own to see if it's connected, because there's been times in our own detective bureau where you're working a case, Corey, and John may have had a case mm -hmm. very similar. Yeah. Um, you know, I go back to the times of uh, when Lathrop Village, unfortunately, had a young, young, young lady murdered, um, and we had a um, counterfeiting case of somebody buying a, I think it was a PlayStation 3 at the time. Um, <laughs> you know, our counterfeiting case linked back to the vehicle that was wanted in the homicide that was able to help develop their, uh, and, 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 we had none of that. Mm -hmm. So we're going we're gonna to close it up here, but I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. What's most memorable? Let's not even do that. You kind of said that. Some advice to the young officers coming in today. I would say um, be careful, be smart, and with the rise in violence in the world in general today, uh, don't walk around thinking that nothing can happen to you because we all know different. You know, we lost Gary Davis in, uh, uh, several years ago, um, and we've all known uh, other departments that have lost officers. I think it's just be on your toes and be very, very careful because you got to go home to your family at night. Um, Corey? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, seize the moment, seize the opportunities. Um, I've been so fortunate here, and, you know, there's no perfect place, obviously, but um, being able to do my entire career here, um, I moved here from another state not knowing anything about Bloomfield Township, and, you know, I feel very fortunate. Um, so I guess to those young, just, you know, have fun, obviously, you know, abide by what, you know, John was saying about be safe, be smart out there, but, you know, have fun. It goes so fast, and, you know, you make lifelong relationships that are, you know, just as close as your family members. And so I, if I would just say seize the moment, seize the opportunities, have fun, be safe. Yeah. Well, we thank you guys for your long careers. I know personally, you go both mentors to me. Um, we've had great times. We've had sad times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we're not afraid to admit it. Um, but in all of it, we, we have been in situations where and seen things as an agency or as, as new officers, young officers. Uh, we've been through situations that most people' minds should never see. Um, and in the end, it's successful when you can walk away from this career um, on your own, you know, at, at the time where you feel it's necessary. Mm -hmm. um, so we appreciate your service to our agency. And it's, it's been an know. absolute blessing to work here, especially with all the people. I mean, that's Bloomfield yes. Township is like a very large family. 
Um, and the, the most difficult thing about retiring is leaving the people that you've worked with for so long. Yeah. Well, good. Thanks, guys, for coming on today, and we'll Thanks, take a Chief. break here shortly. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. When I was about five years old, um, I went to a fair with my family, and I saw an officer, his ex canine officer, and I was like, oh, I want to do that when I grow up. I actually did an interview at the academy, and after that, I set up a ride along, and the ride along was great. After I completed my bachelor's degree, I thought to myself, there's something more I want to do. And with law enforcement, I've always had an interest in law enforcement. I just never acted on it until I got my bachelor's degree. I had a personal experience when I was a nanny, and the kid I nannied for got killed by a drunk voter, and that's part of the reason I became a police officer. I interviewed, and this was a place that I could just see that aligned with a lot of the values that I was looking for and becoming a police officer. It's not an overly busy department. You know, we do have our handful of, of big crimes. You're not going to be running from major crime to major crime to major crime. Your workday is actually what you make it. So above the calls that you get dispatched, there's plenty of time to go out there and be a proactive police officer and kind of dabble a little bit in what is your specific interest in police work and seek out the crime. Well, the community itself is, is very supportive of our police department, and we are very fortunate to have that here. It's a good size department but it's not so big where you get lost. As far as the camaraderie goes within the department, it's great. Roll call is probably one of the funnest times on shift. Getting to go out to these different calls and, and hanging with these guys or girls is a, is a bonus. I think that's the biggest thing, is the respect and friendliness. And we have a lot of amenities here. We can work out on duty um, during our breaks for lunch. There's so much more. I just, I really like working here. So we have this range behind us we come down to. Uh, we got to train in that every quarter. Um, we've been getting into mental health training, which is great. From the time of my ride along at the start of the application process to the final interview to the job offering, it, it's been nothing but a great experience. Wouldn't want to be anywhere else. It's the people here, people I work with every night. It's a great place to be and couldn't have made a better choice. I know for me it's an honor to work here. This is a department that I knew as soon as I heard about him, this is where I wanted to work and where I wanted to continue and hopefully work my whole career here. Welcome back to our Community Ready Readiness Podcast. I want to thank again uh, Detective Donberger and Detective Husses for joining me today. Uh, it's an honor for me to be able to recognize them as they uh, approach the retirement date of next week. Uh, May 31st will be their last day here at Bloomfield Township, and they'll pass the torch on to uh, Officer McGraw and Officer Miller, who have been on in the past. Um, the good news this week is I don't have... Uh, a whole list of auto thefts to report as we have in the past uh, few months. It does not mean they're occurring, it just means we haven't had as many in the last couple weeks. Uh, we did have an incident recently, and this kind of goes out to our landscape crews and our homeowners to uh, pay attention to their items of la uh, landscaping. Uh, we have this time of year and throughout the summer, we do get quite often uh, individuals driving through neighborhoods and stealing off of landscape trailers or un uh, unaccompanied 
landscape equipment from front yards. Uh, we did make an arrest this last week. On May 15th at about 12.30 p.m., we responded to a uh, theft of three backpack blowers off a trailer, a landscape uh, equipment trailer. Uh, with the help of our Troy Special Investigations Unit, uh, I, that's a common theme here, um, we were able to identify and arrest two individuals for that as they were trying to sell that equipment. Uh, so we were able to recover that. Uh, we're still seeing an increase in car accidents um, and reckless just you know, unresponsible, dri irresponsible driving. Uh, we uh, just want to try to get it out there that we're out there. We will be ticketing drivers who are driving recklessly or uh, causing danger to anybody else on the roadway. Um, we want to thank you this week for tuning into our podcast and honoring Corey and John Hustis. We'll see you soon.